the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Let's get it going right here and right now. This is New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to a brand new episode of New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling Podcasting Empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we go back in time and we analyze and we break down and we talk about some classic moments from the new generation of the World Wrestling Federation. And this week, it's no different, of course, but we are going to tap into some of our personal memories of the new generation as we go back and look at some house show memories here on New Generation Declassified. The house show, something that you literally lived for in your neck of the woods, whether it was the New York area, you're in Chicago, you're in L.A., you know, you're in Florida. You needed to go to house shows because you needed to see some of these matches that you'd never see literally on television and we lived for those house shows thanks to the weekly television every single week. And we're going to talk about it here today. I'm going to welcome in my crack broadcast team. First, the guy who they literally should have called Mr. House Show back in the freaking day. I mean, seriously, this kid was at every goddamn show I could possibly uh, imagine that happened in Madison Square Garden. Uh, thank you very much to, uh, I believe it was Payne Weber <laughs> back in the day. Correct. <laughs> it was back in the day, the Payne Weber skybox there at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Mr. CP uh, joining us again here this week. Welcome back. And uh, many a memory there for you at the old house show loop. Thank you very much, Chadster. Yes, I enjoyed the uh, skybox in Madison Square Garden many, many various times. And a couple times I was in regular seats as well. But uh, I'm definitely looking forward to the house show episode. It's going to be a fun episode today, I think. A little break from reality. I think uh, it's a crazy night when some people listen to this. There there may be a president in place. There may not be one for several weeks. But what I can assure everyone is that there will never again be political satire like the Bill Clinton impersonator that was constantly a part of the new generation. <laughs> you know, I was actually going to throw to you guys. I was going to see if I could find that guy tonight. I just, I don't randomly was like, I got to find the Bill Clinton impersonator because this guy must have been on the payroll for a good three years. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Constantly uh, gone to. But, you know, when I think of how we're recording this on election night, you know, with literally election coverage going on, you know, 10 feet from where I'm sitting, um, you know, I, I like to sit there and reflect upon some of the great presidents of our past, like President Jack Tunney, President Gorilla Monsoon. <laughs> And President Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Those were the new generation uh, sheriffs in town, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Presidents were always better than commissioners. But if I was going to talk about Jack Tunney, I'd have to call him that no good Jack Tunney, because that's basically <laughs> what I knew him as for, uh, you know, my whole childhood. Thanks to the Hulkster. <laughs> that no good Jack Tunney, brother. But uh, yeah. And then welcoming back, of course, again, from uh, the, the swing state of Florida, uh, Mr. Timmy W, uh, feeling good in the neighborhood. Uh, doesn't have many house show memories, but he's back nonetheless. <laughs> no, I'm I'm back, feeling a lot better. Thank God in this era, there's no, no such thing as COVID either. Um, I'm excited <laughs> to be back here. 
And, uh, you know, hopefully down here in Florida, we don't have any more hanging Chad stirs either. <laughs> I'm literally the most famous Chad uh, that's ever gone through the state of Florida because I was not a hanging Chad. But you are feeling good, though. Tim had a rough battle, and he's back. But it's good to hear uh, he's in good shape. And uh, you feeling better, though, buddy? I'm alive. I'm well. I'm here. Hey, listen. And that's all it takes. He's a fighter, folks. But we're going to talk about house shows here uh talk about some memories talk about uh what we saw talk about the build-up uh it's going to be part one of two and we're gonna have a special guest for next week's edition former wwf or excuse me (laughs) he wishes former wwe superstar kalen croft uh joining us to talk about his house show memories and what kind of brought me to think about house shows was an instagram post that he put up and that it was very cool He attended a house show as a kid in 1993 at the arena in Ohio. That was his home arena. And then he shared a picture of him actually wrestling in that same arena in 2005 and kind of bringing it full circle that a couple people who were also in attendance for the house show were also in attendance for when he wrestled there in 2005. So we're going to talk about the shows that he went to growing up and the fact he was able to wrestle in that arena. I think it's just such a cool little uh, full circle moment because dude oh my god and, and and it's so great he's been sending me pictures he was at his parents house this past week he sent me pictures of his uh, hasbro collection which is returning back to florida with him he was talking about all his wwf magazines that he had you know subscriptions to going back to 1990 so he falls right into our era of the new generation and we're going to talk about his memories in part two of uh, house show memories on the next edition uh but we'll start here with this one um Unfortunately, being a fan since 1987, uh, it almost took me 10 full years to get to my first house show. And I'm ashamed to say it, but I missed a many, many, many a match at the Meadowlands or the Nassau Coliseum or the Spectrum or the Garden and never was able to get to those house shows till 1996. That's why we'll start with CP and some of his memories, because like I said, this guy was Mr. House Show. He went to everything. And we've talked about Bob Backlund losing to Diesel. We've talked about a couple other random shows. But talk about what the house shows meant to you growing up and the anticipation that you felt getting ready to go to them. The house shows were always a huge thing for me. I would look forward to those, you know, two months in advance at least. And, you know, one of the great things about live events or house shows in this era was, you know, you still had that the, there were not necessarily matches on television that were the best versus the best like you get all the time now or, or an attempt for that all the time you still had uh uh you just basically had to order a pay-per-view or you could go to the live events or the house i don't know by the house shows uh and they're just yeah you you, you weren't ever going to get to see like the undertaker versus uh you know john michaels or something like that on a regular television show you saw that on house shows and they were just a completely different thing and it just that anticipation too when you live in this area you take the train to madison square garden that anticipation on that train ride i can't explain it it's there's just a life to madison square garden in new york city there's literally nothing better than waiting for that train at uh you know whether it was one of our new jersey transit destinations i'm sure people in other uh, markets felt the same way like people from connecticut that were traveling into the garden or out from new york the best part of getting to the train and and taking new jersey transit to penn station was to see who else was going to the show (laughs) yeah and you'd be like oh i know that kid like he's going to the show (laughs) i didn't know he liked wrestling what the hell and yeah, that whole ride, you'd be talking about, you know, what we saw on TV, who was going to be there. 
And, uh, you know, and again, you went to more of the shows in, in this era than anybody. Um, so you kind of got to see the evolution of what it was like, you know, in 94 and then 95 and then 96. And then I started going to you, uh, going to shows with you in 97. So we saw a completely uh, different change from what you saw three years earlier. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, the Saturday morning shows that built up the house shows. Yes, they would maybe mention them in between on commercial breaks on Monday Night Raw. But it was all about superstars and challenge and uh, all-American wrestling and mania and, and the little bumpers that you'd get to see. Not fully what it was in the 80s where they would do the event center. And not even face-to-face, -face, which was phased out by about the second year of the new generation. But... Just the the little breaks in between on superstars, whether it was Jr. or Todd Pettengill building up, you know, hey, we're coming to Madison Square Garden this Friday night. And not only are you going to see Bret Hart versus Owen Hart in a, you know, 30 minute submission match, but you're also going to see the one, two, three kid versus Jeff Jarrett. And you're like, holy shit, <laughs> <laughs> I got to see this damn match and I got to be at, at the garden. And, and for you, you know, you had the opportunity to go to a lot of the shows. I'm sure you felt each time the same anticipation and the same, you know, like not anxiety, but that eagerness to get to those shows to see what matches were going to be on that card when you went and bought the program at the merch stand. Yeah, absolutely. It was always a fun time. I, I think there was certain sections of the new generation that were more exciting than others, but there was always a nice anticipation going to the garden. And I will say, I appreciate you putting me over as Mr. House Show, but I don't <laughs> think in this era I ever went to one show at the Meadowlands, which is probably was probably 30 minutes from where I live. I always went to the garden shows. And, and you know, and my first arena that I went to was the Meadowlands for wrestling. I had been to the garden for, you know, Ringling Brothers, which I, I, where I remember going to the Ringling Brothers. It had to be like 93 or 94 and saying to my dad and my mom being like, I never thought the first time I'd be at Madison Square Garden was for a circus. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going like, where's, where's the entrance? You know, where did they come through? Where, where's everybody sitting? And uh, my first arena that I went to for a house show was the Meadowlands. But I'm calling you Mr. House Show because the Garden ran every month still for the most part uh, yeah. during the generation. And Garden always had that classic aisle way, which they still had on um, pay-per-views at that time, too, where it's just, you know, like a 20-foot aisle. Everybody walks in that little, that little tiny area to get to yeah. the ring. Uh, when you would get to the arena... OK, you know, and, and we've talked about it on the merch episode. We've talked about it countless times. You, you made the beeline to the merch stand. You'd check it out. You'd see what they had. If there was too many people, you'd try to come back. If not, you had to literally wrestle your way to the front and, and try to get your foam finger or your T-shirt or your program or whatever. Yes. Um, but when you got to sit in the seat and you took the lookout and you saw the red, white and blue ropes and you saw the canvas and you saw the, the blue mats around the ring, um, you kind of sat in anticipation wondering who's the first person you're going to hear. And, you know, and I know in the later years, the entrance music was a lot more on cue. It was a little more prevalent, but still I I'm going to guess in 94, there's still a lot of guys that didn't have the entrance music. Am, am I correct? I think you're correct. You're testing my memory a little bit, but I believe you're correct there. Yeah, well, Bob Backlund certainly didn't have entrance music. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there, there's a couple guys that did not. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but that's point, also the first time you get to hear the entrance music, too, is when you're at these house shows. <laughs> yes, no, definitely, to really hear it. Um, and then that anticipation of when you're in the arena, when you're when you're a kid and this is like, this means so much to you, and 
you you've never really even especially like at the early shows when you haven't been to shows before and you're you're looking at your card on the program of all these big matches coming up and it, and it's like you're there early i used to always force force people to bring me there early for no reason and then <laughs> i didn't want to miss the beginning so i just stare at the empty ring for a million hours even though they would always start a little late Howard Finkel would usually do some announcements a couple times a little early, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that anticipation, waiting for the show to start, staring at the ring that you always see on television, uh, it's, it was just amazing. So yeah, just so awesome. I mean, I I I would have preferred to go to a house show over uh, a WrestleMania or uh, you know a Monday Night Raw. I would have. Lo- I love the houses. I love the dark look of the arena because they still turn the house lights off for the most part. Um, you know, you got to kind of see when they transitioned into doing the lights, you know, we're watching the video here that Tim's playing for us of Razor Ramon getting his full entrance with, you know, with the lights out and the yellow spotlight. So that kind of cool. They're working that way in because like, let's look at it this way, folks. And again, if you're in the Northeast, you, you kind of understand this because we got to see these shows on television on the MSG network. There was no flash. You know, there was no like glitz and glamour. It was music. It was entrance. It was you're here, whatever. It wasn't the lights out, pyro, whatever. This we got to see that. So you're start you're in the era now where that's starting to change and they're putting a little more production work into these house show matches. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you go back to the golden era, which I don't think I I don't think I ever went to a house show at that time. I think ninety one or ninety two is probably my first house show. Um but yeah, you're obviously in darkness, and then you and then you hit '97 Attitude Era time, and you're just in firework explosion craziness. Not necessarily at a house show, but it's still a lot more intense than it would be uh, at this point. I don't know. They had them at the, the house shows too. Sorry to interrupt. They they had them at the house shows. I can remember in '97 pyro fireworks. Um, uh, you know, Bret Hart gets the py- the, the the firework thing overhead. Uh, Undertaker raising the lights. You're right. Yeah. Out. So I they put that. the production work in um, and, you know, and I'm mean, jumping ahead, which we'll go backwards, obviously. But one of the shows that we went to was the last televised house show that they ever did at Madison Square Garden in that era. And it was so traditional to the old shows that had stopped being filmed in 92, um, complete with now pyro lights out and, and things of that nature. And to me, that I just I. I loved that. And that being a part of that is almost like being a part of history because it was, you know, something that hadn't been done anymore. Now, I don't know, Tim, what arena is that that you're showing us right now? Because that is a giant entranceway (laughs) that was in front of us. What the hell show was that? Uh, June 15th, 97. Not our era. Not quite sure what arena that is. That is a huge entranceway. (laughs) Um, Like, seriously. Like they could have put probably like three or four more rows of fans if they wanted to, because that thing is huge. Like you're gonna talk about, yeah. you know, the uh, the disciples of apocalypse riding their motorcycles. You could fit <laughs> the Undertaker's hearse side by side with like Stone Cold's uh, 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 pickup truck if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, that's a full driveway. You could definitely drive the beer truck down that aisle. Tim, check and see if you have uh, March 1997 Madison Square Garden. That's that's the show that I'm talking about that uh, CP and I were at. That was a uh, that was a great show. We'll put that on the cusp of our new generation era, only because I believe Ross switched to the red ropes at that point, and red ropes are uh, persona non grata on this show. <laughs> <laughs> They're always persona non grata. 
<laughs> don't like the red ropes? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, I do always, there's something, I guess it's just nostalgia. I always like those red, white, and blue ropes. Yeah, no, see, yes, this is it. So he pulled it up. So casket match, uh, which they did do at the house shows quite often. Um, Ahmed versus Savio Vega. I mean, that was a huge angle because Savio Vega turns heel at Madison Square Garden on a house show uh, a couple months uh, before this. Uh, China in the corner of Hunter Hearst Helmsley versus The Rock. Ever hear of those guys uh, before? That was China's like second week in the company. The Bulldog and Owen versus Furnace and LaFon. And let's see. Let's test CP's memory if he remembers the opening match of this show. Don't move it yet. Let's see. Do you remember the opening contest? I do not. Okay, let it play. I will I will kind of toss these guys into the new generation uh, model only because uh, they fit very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's Mr. Backlund, followed by the Iron Sheik. Uh, they are accompanying the Sultan to the ring uh, for this contest. Do you, do you know the Sultan's opponent yet? Is this triggering anything? Flash. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> The Funker, the real Funker, Flash Funk. Um, but this is what we're talking about. This is the anticipation. These are the first guys that you're seeing. So what do you think happens when the Sultan's gong hits at the top of his theme music? The place boos. <laughs> it's called Heat. It's the place going ape shit. Because they, who wants to see the Sultan first? I want to hear Flash Funk. <laughs> <laughs> the Sultan is the ultimate way to open any show. Come on. I mean, the Funkettes, they made the house show loop. The, the Funkettes got a payday on this uh, this evening in 1997. Um, <laughs> but I'm getting ahead of myself. This is this is like this might as well be like the future for us, because this is not uh, this is not what we want to focus on. So CP, I asked you to go back and pull a couple of dates and, and kind of read us the card. Let us know what you got to see on a lovely New York City evening uh, in, in those mid-90s years. Uh, tell us what you found going through your research. Okay. I I want to go to the, the September 25th, 1993. Um, if you want to pull that up, Tim. And while you're doing that, I just want to point out, because I don't, I don't know. I don't if know I, if he has that one. You're giving him credit. I don't know if he's got that one on there. <laughs> Uh, I did want to point out earlier, though, Tim was running Jeff Jarrett and Razor Ramon from the yes. Garden. And this is just I didn't really plan to talk about that at all. But Jeff Jarrett, Razor Ramon was basically it felt like it was at every Garden show that ever existed <laughs> in that era. I, I swear they were constantly going at it. But um, if you don't have it, it's cool. Uh, one of the uh, uh, highlights of this event, which is why it's so memorable to me. Uh, it's kind of in the buildup. It's it's early for Royal Rumble buildup, but Yokozuna and the Undertaker uh, fight at this uh, show, which oh, is okay. sort of the main event. Yoko, it's in the middle of the show, but Yoko is the champion. Um, mm -hmm. Undertaker's Undertaker. Uh, there's interference from Mister Fuji. Yoko gets the salt bucket. I don't. Uh, I forget how he gets it exactly, but he basically hits the Undertaker a bunch of times with the salt bucket and then pins him. And he gets a pinfall win over the Undertaker. Uh, it was behind wow. the behind the uh, referee's back, obviously with the salt bucket. But uh, I I was shocked at the time. And then the Undertaker definitely, I think he gets bonsai drop maybe, and then sits up after the bell and he chases Yoko away and poses with the title. But I just remember being shocked that he lost like by pinfall, right? Uh, like even though Yoko was like this monster champion, but I. 
I don't think I'd ever seen Undertaker lose by pinfall at that time, other than Hulk Hogan on Tuesday in Texas when Hulk Hogan was just being cheating Hulk Hogan with a steel chair and Earn Ash <laughs> attacking Ric Flair for no hey. reason. <laughs> he didn't do that. <laughs> but yeah, no, this was just a shocking moment, and I I feel like the yeah, it was just kind of crazy, and the, the arena even like felt like. It was not a normal reaction. It was like a little stunned. Uh, I, I don't think anybody, any prop, maybe the Undertaker took other pinfalls. Yeah, here's, here. I think this might be the finish right here. There's the salt bucket. <laughs> and Yoko's down. Uh, now, I dare say I have to piggyback what you said, and this is just from my memory of the buildup for the shows. If Jeff Jarrett, Razor Ramon, was on every <laughs> Garden House show, I think that Yoko Suna versus the Undertaker was a close <laughs> second. Because it was like every single month that these guys were in some match in some way, shape, or form. It was definitely a constant show at the garden. It w- um, is this the one that he's talking that you're talking about? Um. Oh no, this is a oh, casket match. Yes, no, this is a different date. I apologize. Yeah, this is uh, a couple of months later. I was talking about September 25th, 1993, okay. which okay. was not a casket match, but uh. Yeah, no, it was just a crazy match. Undertaker lost by pinfall, which was uh, not expected. What uh, else was on the show? What are some of the other matches? So one of the crazy, one of the other insane things on that show, uh, which uh, I did look at results today, and I had my memory completely jogged when I was looking at the card. Uh, there was supposed to be, or scheduled in the program, was one, two, three, kid versus Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental oh, title. But this nice. is when Shawn Michaels was suspended. Um, and Razor Ramon had not yet had his Battle Royal Intercontinental title victory. Uh, so it was one, two, three kid against the replacement opponent, Bastion Booger. And <laughs> the winner of the match was Bastion Booger. Wow. So why not, you know, who, who better to replace Shawn Michaels than Bastion Booger? <laughs> did he come did he come out the sexy boy? <laughs> He, he should have. That would have been fantastic. Well, there's a guy with no entrance music, so you're not going to know he's out there until he walks through and you hear the chorus of booze. Um, which the Garden, I'm going to say during that era and and really have only knowing the real tail end of it, the, the Garden was always the smarter fans. Uh, no offense to everybody else around the world. Uh, the Garden, Philly, you know, Massachusetts, the, these were yeah. markets that these were smarter fans. Chicago was another one. Um they did generally try to cheer who they liked, but in the traditional sense, very, very much walking the kayfabe line and would boo the bad guys mercifully and, or mercilessly, and they would cheer who they were told to cheer. It was the rare instances, and I think we're more in the Shawn Michaels championship era exactly. where that started to change. I honestly don't recall Shawn Michaels like ever being... I mean, there were mixed reactions. I don't really ever recall him being overly cheered uh, when he came out of Madison Square Garden ever. Anytime he was in his like face Shawn Michaels time period. I mean, Survivor Series 96 is the big, the biggest example of it. I mean, he just gets booed out of the friggin' building. <laughs> also, I'm jumping ahead here. I'll, I'll just throw out, a, I throw out another show to you. Go, yeah, please. Go ahead. June, uh, June 10th, 1995. Um was originally scheduled to be Diesel versus Sid in a steel cage match for the title. Um, this was a weird show, by the way, because I remember it being like not very crowded for whatever reason. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. 
uh, I guess because maybe it's because dead middle in that era, and also Bret Hart was not on the show, who was probably the most over guy at that time. Right. Um, but Diesel, I don't know why he, I, I forget, but he was not. He had to pull out of the show, and they put Shawn Michaels in the steel um, cage. It was his elbow. He had a um, in that part of '95, his elbow was that's destroyed. Right. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, so they replaced him with Shawn Michaels in the cage, um, and Shawn Michaels beat Sid in this match, which was a fun oh, little match. Okay. But I remember that just that garden reaction. Like they, this was Shawn Michaels was kind of newly babyface, and they already weren't accepting him. Like they, wow. they, they, they just didn't really like him. Uh, he got now, some was, cheers, was he Intercontinental Champion at that point, or was that July where he beat? Yeah, I don't think he was Intercontinental Champion yet. I think he was just buddies with Diesel, and Sid had turned on him a couple of months prior after WrestleMania. I guess had turned on him, so it just made sense to fit him in there. Okay, yeah, that's a that's an interesting one, and and that was always a cool thing too. The substitutions, kind of. You know, and when, when I get into my card, which I only I have I have a couple, but this is the one I want to bring up because it's more smack in our era. Um, mm-hmm. The substitutions were always like you anticipated them, you know, quote card subject uh, to change, but unless there's a Bastion Booger, you you don't get a <laughs> you don't get a bad substitution, or you get a kind of mix mix up of matches, a kind of mashup, if you will, of. You know, maybe two singles matches that become a tag match or, you know, a guy whose opponent's not there is thrown in and some kind of weird, you know, conglomeration of, of, of a few different things that were supposed to happen. But that's not a bad one. Shawn Michaels substituting for Diesel. That's not terrible. No, absolutely not. And if you I mean, if you look at the roster at that time period, too, I don't really know where else they would have gone. I mean, yeah, there was not you know, there I don't there was only a few guys that I think you could slot into from upper mid card to the top of the card. And, you know, there wasn't that many guys in general. I feel like the roster was only like 30 people at that time. Yeah, here it is. There's Tim pulled it up. Here it is. Oh, nice. Right. Six ten ninety five. Look at that. that. Shawn Michaels. There's Tatanka in the ring. DiBiase's got the, uh, the door closed. Yeah. That's post um, that's post after Shawn Michaels wins. The corporation comes out and attacks him. Tatanka's all over the show. He also beats Bam Bam Bigelow. In the, uh, kind of the last match. I think. Oh, let's see who's hitting the ring. Is that Luger? Oh, there's Aldo. <laughs> the Aldo Montoya. Climb over it, guys. Why are there's Bam Bam? Oh, Bam Bam. <laughs> Bam Bam's climbing over. Holy crap. Look how fast he's climbing over that damn thing. He's Holy an athletic, <laughs> athletic big man with a problem with oh, the Oh, Savio Vega. Let's see. It's <laughs> Savio Vega. Um, Aldo. I can't make out. Is that Billy Gunn, maybe, in the jeans? It probably is. Yeah, it would make sense. I think the smoking guns are on the show. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess Billy Gunn could have just hopped over the damn cage if he wanted to, because <laughs> Billy Gunn, you ever see him slide through the ring? He slides almost through the other uh, side. It's amazing. <laughs> um, wow, yeah, that's a great uh, that's a great one right there. Uh, but the substitutions they could they could be shit or they could be really good. Uh, I'll move ahead to mine then because my substitution is epic. <laughs> okay. That's why I'm saying that my substitution is literally I if you told this to me. Uh, ahead of time, I, I couldn't have been more excited because I didn't know this guy was even going to be at the show. Uh, so I'll take you to February 24th, 1996, East Rutherford, New Jersey, the Continental Airlines Arena. Now, no longer the Brendan Byrne Arena. It is, I believe, newly minted the Continental Airlines Arena. Um, a, uh, a a pretty stellar crowd. You know why? It was a matinee. So it started at 2 nice. o'clock. 
And what confused the hell out of me at that point was how was the uh, Superstars uh, show that was going on at the time going to conflict <laughs> with my arrival at this uh, this house show? And I think I've told the story before. The first ever wrestling personality that I saw live and in living color was Dave Hebner uh, coming through the line as we were waiting to go through the curtain to our seats. Um, but uh, the substitution on this show was pretty epic because the advertised main event was a three-way dance, a triple threat match between uh, Bret Hart, uh, The Undertaker, and Diesel for the WWF Championship. Okay? We didn't get that. Okay? We were also (laughs) supposed to get Razor Ramon and Savio Vega taking on the team of the 1-2-3 Kid and Jeff Jarrett. All right, you know, 1-2-3 Kid and Goldust. We did not get that. We were all supposed to get Jeff Jarrett on the show, and we were supposed to get so let me see. I'm looking at it here. Uh, oh, it was Ahmed Johnson and Jeff Jarrett. That's what it was. Uh, the substitutions were pretty epic. <laughs> so Tatanka subs for Jeff Jarrett. Uh, the Intercontinental title was now defended. Goldust versus Savio featuring about five false finishes that had <laughs> Savio Vega winning the Intercontinental title. Uh, the main event just became a singles contest between uh, Bret Hart and The Undertaker. Um, and the 1-2-3 Kid had no opponent for the evening, thus bringing out WWF acting president Rowdy Roddy Piper. Now that is fantastic. How how much did you freak out when you heard the bagpipes? Legit. He So he, I remember this so clearly. He comes out just on the mic at first where the kid is in the ring and he's like, I got no opponent tonight. I'm just going home, blah, blah, blah. He just comes through the entranceway holding the mic and you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What What the hell is going on here? And they ended up having the match like two or three from the top. I remember it was or might have been intermissions main event. And it was like a street fight. And then I heard the bagpipes for the first time. And I still get chills right now. It was out of body experience uh to say the least yeah no that's pretty incredible i i yeah the only time i remember seeing mr piper live was wrestlemania 10 as the uh, referee but i remember getting a. I probably did see him other times but that's the most that's the only time i can recall but i definitely remember yeah the the goosebumps when those uh those pipes come over the uh speakers it's crazy stuff now, looking at this, there's a few matches I have zero recollection of. Um, I do remember seeing uh, Justin Hawk Bradshaw beating Marty Jannetty because I remember thinking it was bullshit at the time. I do not remember the Body Donnas and the uh, the uh, the Godwins. Don't remember that. Uh, very little recollection of Hunter Hearst Helmsley pinning Duke the Dumpster Drosy. <laughs> uh, but this is one I do remember very clearly. And that was the after intermission. The first match was Ahmed Johnson and Tatanka. And the group I was with, we had snuck down to ringside because Todd Pettengill was sitting at ringside with his family. And we wanted to meet Todd Pettengill. Call back to episode number one. You and, and all your friends are just you. No, it was, uh, it was a couple of us, a few people. <laughs> um and, uh, you know, and what, what a friend who will remain nameless, who you may know is very outspoken, <laughs> loudmouth uh, asshole uh, <laughs> saying stuff to people that we thought we were going to get thrown out as we were trying to stealth, uh, make it to uh, the ringside area. So we sit in Todd Pettengill's seats for the entrances. So we see Tatanka and DiBiase and, you know, they're massive. 
And to see Ahmed Johnson in his prime up close was like literally looking at a billboard. His chest was so massive and he was just a, a big SOB uh, where you could literally, you could probably write um, like, uh, you know, an ad for car insurance on the guy's back. He's so goddamn big or was at that point. This is like you describing the uh, Lex Luger narcissist debut. He was huge. I mean, come on, 96 <laughs> Ahmed Johnson, uh, no, not yet Intercontinental Champion, still on the rise, uh, beats uh, Tatanka with uh, the Pearl River Plunge. What I want to show you, I actually went and found uh, the Google imagery. Um, I'm going to bring it back, actually, to, uh, to to this screen here for a second because I'm going to do this. Tim, don't hold your horses. Don't uh, Don't freak out. I actually went and found uh, the image of the program that I bought that evening. Oh, let me drop the level there. And where is this? Boom. Ready for this? This was so great. My first program right there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Volume number 234, Big Daddy Cool Diesel doing it his way. Now, the problem with the programs, when you got to number 234, this was basically just a smaller version of the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, they definitely changed a bit when you got to that era. Um, and that picture is reminding me. I totally had diesel leather gloves that said diesel on the uh, fingers. <laughs> uh, and I felt way too embarrassed to ever wear them. <laughs> but I did own them. Never be embarrassed uh, to wear a black glove because that meant you were going to get a high five uh, <laughs> from Big Daddy Cool if you were ever so inclined to be within uh, close proximity to uh, to Big D. But uh, nonetheless, what else do you have for us there in your uh, house show database? Uh, house show database there, CP. Um. So I get well. I don't want to talk too much about this because we already talked about it. But I just. I felt like it would be remiss if I just didn't revisit for one second uh, November 26, 1994, which we spent a whole episode on. But it's Undertaker. Uh, Diesel wins the world title against Bob Backlund. And it's just such a legendary night. And it's just, it is the most memorable house show moment that I have. So I just felt like I had to mention it. Uh, and yeah, we don't have to get in depth, but okay, the, that, that eight second situation of Diesel beating Bob Acklin. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen at any live event in my life. The crowd reaction of the garden uh, is still, it's just epic in my mind. It was so nuts uh, how how loud that reaction was. It goes, it just, it just harkens to like what people call like a Steve Austin pop or something. Like I, and, and Diesel's not looked at as one of the most successful champions, but that victory was just, that crowd reaction was crazy. And the, yeah. the garden was shaking when he beat Bob Acklin. Um, I don't. I, I'm, I believe it. We've talked about it. We're watching it here in front of us. It's uh, yeah, moment in time. And there's the pyro and everything. How did they know? How did they know it was going to happen? The pyro was just there. Yeah, yeah, it was there. It was, it's Diesel, you know. He probably just put it there because he knew he was going to win. <laughs> uh, uh, how about? So I'm just looking at some. Before, sorry, before you continue, I'm scanning the great history of WWE.com, looking at the Madison Square Garden uh, mm -hmm. section. Now, uh. October 29th, 1994 was the show before the uh, Backland Diesel uh, match. But did you know that November 26th, uh, 1994, the night you watched the Diesel Bob Backland match, did you originally know or did you know that originally WCW had booked the garden that night? I did not know that. No. 
WCW books the garden. The show was canceled. Let's see. So it says canceled. The show was initially scheduled to feature WCW world champion Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair. That's the pretty same epic. night in 1994. Holy shit. I never knew that. <laughs> in the garden, too. In the garden. Was... So it would have been WCW's debut. That's a hell of a debut. But yeah. WCW, uh, WWF was like, F you. Get out. Oh, by the way, we got a title change coming. <laughs> by the way, just as a quick side note, one of the things, for some reason, I kept wanting to mention it if we're just talking house shows. Uh, 1996, I went to uh, Disney World over a weird November week where a lot of New Jersey people have a lot of time off because it's like Teacher's <laughs> Week and Election Day usually at the same time. No school uh, November. Yeah, but there was... I went to a WCW Saturday night taping in uh, in, uh, <laughs> in uh, MGM Studios. <laughs> I remember that. I, I believe I I got to see Chris Jericho and I, I just had no idea who he was at the time, <laughs> or I, I think I barely knew. But all right, so let me let me just ask you this about some house shows. Yes, were you there for the curtain call? I was not there for the curtain call. No. Were you there for the uh, maybe it was it the month before where Diesel officially turns heel? He, he hit Shawn Michaels. The, the main, it's on one of the no. WWF, or it's on the WWF's unreleased matches. It was, it's a DVD set. And uh, the match is Brett and The Undertaker against Shawn Michaels and Diesel. No. So, what I was there for, though, was the show before that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jan, I think that's January. It is January, yes. Uh, Brett. January 26, 1996. Brett and Diesel had a cage match. Yes. Um, yes which ended with the classic Brett cage match ending where he climbs out and his opponent is making his way for the door and almost gets out the door. But Brett hits the floor, which I feel like there's like 900 Bret Hart cage matches that end <laughs> like that. But uh, uh, at the end of that match though, yeah, those guys uh, come out and uh, it basically sets up the tag match for the next, yep. uh, for the next event. Your uh, memory's on point. Here's what it says. Bret Hart defeats Diesel in a steel cage match around the 13-minute mark by escaping the cage as Diesel attempted to leave through the door. After the bout, Diesel attacked Hart, threw him back in the cage, and attempted the powerbomb until The Undertaker's music began. Taker then confronted Diesel, leading to Hart jumping Diesel before Shawn Michaels ran out and leapt off the cage, leading to Hart and Michaels and Diesel and Taker having to be pulled apart by officials as well as Hakushi, Henry Godwin, the Smoking Guns, Ahmed Johnson, and others. Diesel eventually gave Hart the finger before returning backstage. Yes, that was a, that was a chaotic night. And I, can I another memory I have from that night? Now you already mentioned that Yoko and Undertaker fought a bunch of times at the Garden, but <laughs> yeah. but but I felt like this brought it full circle because <laughs> the Undertaker, like this, is like gigantor Yokozuna. I mean, he's always big, but he was huge at this time, and he's on the downside of his career, kind of, and Undertaker basically just squashed him, like, in a couple of minutes after, like, you know, a few months prior, I had watched Taker shockingly lose by pinfall to the same guy. So. Uh, the notes also state 
the announcement was made that on March 17th, the return main event would be WWF world champion Bret Hart and The Undertaker versus Diesel and Shawn Michaels because the Fink would step in the middle of the ring and they would say, tickets are on sale for the return to Madison Square Garden on March 17th, featuring the main event, WWF world champion Bret Hart and The Undertaker battling Shawn Michaels and Big Daddy Cool Diesel. And everybody's like, what? We got to go get tickets right now. <laughs> and those announcements are always made like prior to intermission. So you can go to the box office and buy tickets like at the intermission, which is always a funny thing. Hey, I just pulled up. I just pulled up that card. Just I'm looking at it right now. And I don't I apparently I was there for the Madison Square Garden debut of Steve Austin as well, which I had don't I have no recollection. Of yeah. That. And you were also there for the battle of <laughs> DX as Shawn Michaels pins Hunter Hearst Helmsley with a super kick. <laughs> Fantastic. But I see, don't folks, that either. this is what the beauty was of these shows. This is what it was of going to house shows. It doesn't matter. We can talk about the garden because that was our home base. Timmy, before we, we get to the wrap up, what was the arena that was like your home arena? Was it what, what was what was your spot that you didn't get the chance to go to? Uh, I mean, I grew up in that same era, area, but I was in Pennsylvania. That's so it was always right. Well, I was like state college. So okay. we had the Bryce Jordan Center where they would come to. And Hershey Park was the other big one that they'd come to. So and, those were and always they were nice there ones. all the time. I mean, yeah. literally all the time. So you know exactly what we're talking about. The the build up on the oh, weekend yeah. shows. Oh, yeah. The promos, I, I, all that shit. They just didn't film them and show them how we got to see the garden presented. Right. Yeah. But no, I was sitting there in my seat, you know, seeing those promos for everything, wanting to be there. But, you know, I was that poor little kid then like you guys that, you know. Hey, my dad hated wrestling, uh, you know, literally hated, loathed, never wanted to take me to a show. And I got basically like tricked into going to this house show. I couldn't believe I was going <laughs> oh, was, like out of body experience. I just I was <laughs> I was shocked that I had my money. I bought my shirt. I bought all my stuff, my program. Uh, like I knew everything about going to house shows from people I knew uh, who went to them, you know, and they would tell me what it was like. And, you know, and that was basically uh, my journey, but we'll talk more about that also uh, next week. I want to get to the wrap up here. You know, there's more shows we can talk about. Um, like I said, we'll have uh, Kalen Croft, aka Chris Pavone, on. He'll talk about some of his shows that he saw out there in Ohio, and we'll get to see what it was like in another market and what the build up and the uh, you know the the kind of the anticipation he felt because you know this is a kid who's, he falls right into our era. He falls right into that same uh, wheelhouse. I believe he was a big uh, Shawn Michaels guy. So we'll find out more. I mean, I don't know why, but, you know, he's a big, big HB shizzle guy. And, um, you know, we'll uh, we'll we'll check in it on uh, the house shows again next week. So this is part one and we'll move on to uh, part two. How's that sound? I just wanted to mention real quick that March 17th you were talking about Mm -hmm. that that Bret Hart HBK match was like a second or third match on the card. I, I was I was expecting that to be like the main event of that night crazy right it just you, yeah. sometimes you just you never knew how it was but yeah. i mean you know it it depended on what either they, if they were shooting an angle or again intermission main events and that was made famous by paul kogan that the champ went on at the intermission main event sorry the echo's getting to me uh so the intermission main event was uh you know kind of it almost set the pace for the show because i'll tell you what actually and reading the results of my show from 96 uh the main event actually was Shawn michaels and yoko zuna <laughs> 
against Davy Boy Smith and Owen Hart. The the triple threat match was the right before the yeah. main event. Well, it's like what? <laughs> I feel like a lot of times though that intermission I mentioned the intermission I mentioned before, like they would put kind of the main event on before the intermission and then announce the main event that was kind of just set up for the next garden show. And right. Then you, and then you would have kind of a weird, like mid card, maybe upper mid card match. Uh, after that, I think at the, the match, the uh, event I mentioned before where Shawn Michaels and Sid were in the steel cage, the last match was actually Tatanka beating Bam Bam Bigelow. Wow. Well, Hey, you know, Bam Bam was ready to go. That's, That's Tatanka was all over that show. I mean, he was the, he was the hot thing in the corporation. Ah, uh, Tatanka. Bam Bam was ready to climb cages and kick some ass. <laughs> he was, and he was on his home turf. So, all right, well, let's head to the wrap-up here. Let's get ready to say goodbye for this week on New Generation Declassified. Another fun one. Love talking about this shit. And uh, hopefully uh, we have some more memories uh, coming down the pike ski. So if you want to follow more from the two-man power trip, head on over to tmptempire.com. Get all the links for the podcast that we have on this feed on there, uh, whether it's Dr. Tom or the interviews or this show, uh, anything that you want is on tmptempire.com. If you want to follow me, it's at Chad EMB. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter. You can catch me on Instagram. Uh, you can go to my website. It's ibexclusives.com. Uh, a lot of cool stuff going on there. And just uh, support the brands and support everybody. Uh, Eyes up here, Triple Threat Podcast, all the great podcasts we have going on. Uh, just do that. And that's uh, all we'll need. So, uh, CP, uh, it's been a few weeks. So, the same joke, Stick and Moves podcast season two, blah, blah, blah. Go. It's your turn. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, there will eventually be a Stick and Moves stories season two. It is it is in the works. Groundwork has been laid. However, I do not have a specific release date at this time. But if you keep listening to this podcast you can uh, be aware of those timelines and um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at pugs. That's P U G Z Z Z at pugs. There may be some other things uh, in the works on my ends, but I will uh, keep everyone updated and enjoy everything. Go to house shows. That's it. There's no such thing as house shows anymore. So we can't do that. <laughs> Go to live events. There's no such thing as live events anymore either because there's COVID. So go no. to AW Dynamite and the eight <laughs> people they let in the Daily's place. What, what are you talking about? Go to uh, what do you go to the Thunderdome? That's the only place you're going to get to go to a <laughs> wrestling show uh, these days. So yeah, all right, Timmy. Uh, Timmy, say goodbye if you uh, you can. Unmute your mic and uh, and say goodbye for this week. Uh, goodbye, folks. I'll be going to my drive, local drive-in uh, wrestling event, so see you there. That's why they call him the best color man in the business, folks. All <laughs> right, well, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up for this week, part one of the house show. Stay tuned next week for part two and for the crack broadcast team. This is the Chadster, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.